I especially want to thank Maya for being here because I, I mean, there's something about a bunch of adults sitting around talking about a student's future without the student in the room. That's really just kind of weird. <laughs> so, and I know you, I believe you had a full day of school, Maya, today. Is that right? Yeah. Yesterday was my first day. Oh my gosh. How did it go? It was good. It was good. Are you exhausted? Yes. You're listening to How To. I'm Amanda Ripley. So if you're like me and you've got a kid in the last two years of high school, you're probably getting a ton of mail these days. You know, those big glossy brochures, of picture-perfect campuses. My son read the first two of these and the rest are piled up in a basket untouched, like invitations to a ball. A very expensive ball that might not let you in. The good news, there are a ton of options for colleges in the U.S. The bad news, there are a ton of options for colleges in the U.S. And it is really hard to know what might be right for your kid, let alone your bank account. That's why we heard from this week's listener, Melissa. I live in Washington, D.C., where I am the parent of three kids, the eldest of whom is Maya, who is 16. Maya's a junior in high school and just starting to ramp up her college search. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into colleges. Are you really? Are you telling the truth right now? (laughs) (laughs) You missed that she rolled her eyes after she said that. (laughs) I didn't miss it, girl. I got a 15-year-old son. (laughs) I heard it. Like a lot of teenagers, Maya isn't always in love with the school part of school, but She does love to learn, and she has an adventurous spirit. Last year, she was the only girl on her high school wrestling team. So she's not easily intimidated, but looking ahead to college, she's feeling just as overwhelmed as her mom. I think I would have said before the pandemic that it doesn't matter where you go to college. What you do with your time in school is what's important. Hmm. But Maya's really had a little bit of a rough time in high school. She started in 2020 in a new city. Yeah, that first year was really difficult. Um, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know how to meet people over Zoom. Sure. And last year, coming back into the building and, you know, being in the halls and sitting at a desk, like, it felt like a school experience. But the social aspect was hard for me. I think she's just had a hard time finding her people and fitting Mm -hmm. in. And it really made me rethink my assumptions about um, how much is within your control and how much is about finding uh, the right place for you to flourish. And it would be great if that is a school we can also afford. Right. Yes, absolutely. And that's so interesting what you're saying, that you've had this kind of evolution and you're thinking about it. Sounds like you started out kind of you know, hands off, you can make your own destiny. And then realizing that, you know what, it's not so easy, uh, even in high school, that the place does matter. Is that right? So my parents made me go to a public college in Florida that had this amazing program uh, where I was able to go to college for free. My husband, on the other hand, didn't have any family support for graduate school, and he was in a six-year graduate program, uh, which means that he graduated with somewhere around $100,000 in debt, which 
he won't be paying off until he retires. That's like a car payment that we have made every month for our entire marriage, and we will continue to make it forever. And I recognize what a what a burden that is as much as it was a great choice for him and he is in a career where he where he thrives i want to give maya that freedom as well particularly because she doesn't really know what she wants to do and i feel like if she's going to go to college to try a lot of things and have a lot of starts and restarts and going down lots of different paths. I I don't want each of those to feel like a mistake that costs a lot of money, but as an opportunity to do new exploration. That's the trick, right? But how do you let your kid explore intelligently? Well, we've got just the guy to tell us. My name is Ron Lieber. I write the year money column for the New York Times, and my most recent book is The Price You Pay for College, which is all about who pays what and why. And my um, daughter's about to start her junior year. Um, so I'm literally diving into the real world of this as opposed to the advice <laughs> of it um, right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be brutal. Did you invite her? Is she in the room? <laughs> <laughs> no, the whole question of how much this gets discussed and in what circumstances is a topic of, um, you know, kind of great oh, care yeah. among the parents in <laughs> uh, the household. Well, because you know too because, much in some ways. Well, yeah. right. Like everywhere we go, people want to talk about yeah. it. And it's just enough already, you know. But we are just getting started. On today's episode, how to pick the right college. Ron's going to walk Melissa and Maya through the process of finding that sweet spot, something that you both like and can afford. Stay with us. Looking out, I'm imagining looking out at the horizon. I know, you know, our family, my son is the same age as you, Maya. And it's like overwhelming. You know, there's something like 4,000 different colleges in the United States. Every state is different, each with its own public, private, and for-profit institutions. Um, and it's hard to know where to begin. So, Ron, where do we begin? <laughs> well, I guess it starts by asking as many open-ended questions of yourself and also of others as you possibly can. So, you know, when I was trying to understand how it is that people figured out what to pay for college, I realized pretty quickly that I needed to start with an even broader question, which is what is college, hmm. right? Because we assume that college means the same thing to different people. Hmm. And it doesn't, right? And even if we are restricting our conversation or this conversation to talking about residential undergraduate education for 18 to 22-year-olds, that's still a really broad category because one of the beauties of the American system, and there are a lot of downsides of it, but one of the beauties of it is that we do have literally thousands of choices like that. Um, and so you have to sort of start by asking yourself, what is college and what do I think it is supposed to be for? Hmm. Well, I 
As much as school is not my favorite, learning new things is something I enjoy. And so that's part of it. Um, but also setting up my future to be successful. It's also a good experience to meet new people, um, especially deciding to go to a school in a place you've never been before. You get immersed in other cultures and other ideas. Maya hit the mother load, basically. I, you know, I spent a year trying to distill um, everything that everybody was telling me into as short of a list as possible of things that people should consider. And she hit them all in the space of 90 seconds, right? <laughs> so what I heard over and over is that, number one, people go to school for the learning. Number two, people go to school for the kinship, right? Finding the people that you never could have imagined existing in the world otherwise, except at that place and in that moment. Mm. And then number three, people go to school for the credential. And maybe the credential helps lift you a few rungs higher on the social class ladder from where you came from. And maybe that's the reason you go. Or maybe you're trying to find a credential that can give you entry into rooms or places. And so, you know, the task as a, as a junior or one of the tasks as a high school junior is to figure out, okay, imagine these three things as a kind of pie chart, right? Which ones are most important to me? And so if all of those things are equally important, well, okay, you want to learn new things. What kinds of new things interest you the most? And what are the ways in the past where you felt like it was easiest for you to learn because the environment was as close to perfect as possible, right? Hmm. Okay, this is good stuff. I wish I'd asked myself these questions <laughs> before I applied to college. Um, I wonder, Maya, if we start with that first question, when was it easy for you to learn something? Like, when did it come easy? My school in Florida was a project-based learning school. Mm. So we had a lot of fun ways to work. I'm a visual learner, so whenever I can watch videos on certain topics or get to physically see models of things, being able to hear others' ideas um, and taking that and understanding it and applying it to what I was receiving helped me to be able to learn. Yeah. The one other element I would add is that Maya has always learned best and the most from teachers that she has a personal connection to, oh. um, the teachers that she's felt really plugged into. We always joke that Maya's favorite subject is dependent on who her favorite teacher is. So one year it might yeah. be algebra, but the next year it's, uh, it's American history and the year after that it's English and it's really all about the teacher. I mean, that suggests um, one of the first ways you might want to narrow the field down is to places where people, practitioners, educators, are rewarded as much for their teaching expertise as they are for the research that they generate. Here's our first tip. If you're serious about getting to know your professors, chances are that's gonna be easier at a smaller school with smaller classes. But that doesn't necessarily mean a larger price tag. 
So right away, I'm sort of hearing, you know, small liberal arts college more than, you know, the University of Maryland or the University of Virginia, mm. right? So quite often when that starts to emerge as a theme, parents and the student, if they know something about the market, start to freak out, right? <laughs> because they think private college absolutely more expensive than public university. And that's often true, but not always. Oh, increasingly, it's less true, right? I was absolutely over here freaking out when, as soon as you said small <laughs> liberal arts school. So one piece of advice I give people very early on is not to make assumptions about what a school might cost based on the list price that they post on their website. Often this is known as the cost of attendance. That's the um, webpage that people will stumble on and it will cause them to freak out. But the fact of the matter is, is that the majority and sometimes the vast majority of undergraduates at any given private college or university are paying way less than that list price. Whereas a family like yours at a public flagship university, so, you know, the big state university in any state, is probably going to pay full price. Um, and that full price is increasingly crossing $30,000 per year at, at a state university. If I can ask a follow-up question to that, if the sticker price on their website is actually unhelpful information because maybe nobody pays that or not very many people pay that, how how do you know which are the schools you should try applying to? Yeah, good question. We can't we can't <laughs> apply to all of them. <laughs> this is madness. Let's just take a pause before Ron answers. This is messed up, okay? <laughs> like this is something when I used to cover education, I just could not. It's a lot like healthcare, right? Yeah. So uh, it is a lot like healthcare um, in that it is, uh, you know, sort of inscrutable and, and relatively unpredictable in many instances. It's inexcusable that you cannot know with any great precision or predictability whether many schools um, will price at, you know, $100,000 or $200,000 or $300,000. In economics, this is called price discrimination, meaning that colleges work really hard to figure out the maximum price a family's willing to pay and then charge that amount. It's only possible for them to do this because the whole system is overly complex and opaque. That is on purpose. President Biden's loan forgiveness program might help pass borrowers, but it doesn't address the bigger problem. A lot of states have drastically cut public funding of universities, and a lot of colleges spend a startling amount on their non-teaching staff compared to other countries. This all needs to get fixed, hopefully before Maya's kids go to college. Until then, Ron's gonna help Melissa and Maya, and the rest of us, learn to navigate around the giant potholes in the current system. There's two different kinds of financial aid. There's financial aid based on need, which is all about your ability to pay. And then there's this, this new system has come to be known as merit aid. Um, merit aid is kind of a catch-all for 
academic scholarships and, you know, it really just amounts to couponing, um, where, uh, it's kind of like at Bed Bath and Beyond, you know, where like the vast majority of people don't really pay full price. And if you do, you're probably doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is, is that on the merit aid side, it can be very unpredictable. The federal government now requires colleges to provide what's called a net price calculator so students can figure out how much their tuition might be. But it only crunches the numbers on need-based aid, things like your family income. It doesn't always take into account potential merit aid based on grades and test scores. So some schools will tell you straight away, if you've got this combination of GPA and this combination of SAT scores, like here's a little grid and here are the discounts that you'll get if everything kind of matches up. But at the you know more selective institutions that offer merit aid, it's much less predictable. And so it's possible that you will be offered no merit aid at all. And it's possible you might be offered twenty dollars or $25,000 a year. So there can literally be a hmm. six-figure swing hmm. in the cost for four years. And you don't get to find out about it ahead of time. I feel like we're stressing you guys out. Maya and Melissa, how are you feeling? <laughs> Maya, like, what are you thinking hearing all this? Yeah, um, I'm a little stressed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a lot. Definitely stressed. Our um, intention is not to <laughs> not to stress you out, but we're gonna we're gonna get through this together. Um, and I wonder, in general, like how much do you worry about grades and SAT scores? Like, is that something that's kind of like top of mind for you right now? Um. Well, so. I've always somehow gotten good grades, but test grades are where I'm nervous and how mm-hmm. that plays into colleges. Because um, I feel like I've always heard people be like, oh, your SAT scores or your AP test scores like are going to play a big role um, when applying for colleges. That's what they're going to look at. Mm-hmm. So that is something that um, stresses me out a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you, in general, how are you as a test taker? Um, horrible. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not good at tests in really any class, but also somewhat financially, it um, worries me like figuring out how we're going to manage paying for college because I do have two brothers. They're younger than me, but you know, I don't want to take all the money. Right. So this is a lot for a 16 year old to have to shoulder. Washington, D.C. hasn't even allowed Maya to get a driver's license yet, but she has to sort through an impossible financial calculus and make sure that her brothers don't get punished along the way. So how do we cope? After a quick break, we're going to hear how Ron is approaching this same challenge for his own daughter right now. Be right back. If you rely on how-to to make smart decisions for your child's future, the best way to support us is by joining Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Signing up for Slate Plus helps us help all the people you hear on our podcast every week. No one likes ads, but we still have to keep the microphones on. So this is your best option. Members will never hear another ad on our podcast or any other Slate podcast. You'll also get free and total access to Slate's website. Plus, you'll be supporting our important work. So I hope you'll join us if you can. 
To sign up now, go to slate.com slash howto plus. Again, that's slate.com slash howto plus. Thanks. We're back with Melissa and her daughter, Maya, and college finance wizard, Ron Lieber. Ron's got two kids of his own, including a daughter the same age as Maya. And what he's learned is it's one thing to open a college savings account, but it's another thing to make sure the whole family is on board with how much goes in it. And so, you know, that's a conversation that we had um, with our daughter, who's 16, from early on. Um, You know, the 529 college savings account, you know, statement would come in the mail and I would open it up and just remind her and mm. say, hey, you know, Talia, we're 11% of the way, <laughs> you know, to what we think this might cost. We're 14% of the way, just so that she knew that we were on yeah. it, right? Um, but on the financial side of this, you know, one of the things that you and your spouse probably ought to do if you haven't already is just sit down and say, okay, well, you know, what do we think our ability to pay is, what is our capacity and ability to borrow, and then what is our willingness uh, to pay or to borrow? Um, Because if the two of you aren't on the same page about that, it's hard to set any, you know, sort of parameters around the search that won't end up being confusing when you discover that disagreement farther down the road. Yeah. So instead of looking at that as like a a huge bummer, it's a way of looking at it like, oh, this will help us narrow the field. So it's not so daunting. Um, but I wonder, Melissa, have you had a conversation with your husband about this? We haven't really um, explicitly had a conversation. Yeah, um, is that something, could you imagine if we give you this as homework, could you imagine having this conversation with your husband? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think we probably really just need to sit down with a lot of numbers. I will say, <laughs> just speaking personally, I've noticed already that this college thing seems to bring up people's own baggage from their own college experience. So it reminds me of... You know, when our son was a baby and we were doing sleep training and I read this book about how to do sleep training. This is the way. And I started doing it. And it was a very strict (laughs) regimen. And my husband hadn't read the book, right? So he was just doing what he thought made sense. And I I remember once just just kind of losing my mind. I was like, you're trying to destroy me. (laughs) Because I was sleep deprived and anxious and all the things that, you know, new parents are. And he was like, I need to read this book. I'm like, yes, you do. So now when we started down this path and noticed that some of the same deep-seated emotions were coming up about our own pasts and ideas about what college should be, he ordered us three copies of this one book about college, like a short book, just kind of getting us all on the same page. And I resisted it, but it was actually a good thing because it, it forced us to kind of, we have a little book club. It's a little painful, but we do it every like Sunday night. We read a couple chapters. And then we're at least kind of like reading from the same playbook, if that makes sense. Yeah, we need one part financial advisor and one part therapist uh, to <laughs> sort through all of the all of the financial constraints. And then also juggling what choices we make for Maya and how that will impact the choices that we make for our other two kids. If we take out significant loans for her schooling, um, we may limit our ability to take out loans down the line 
um, because there's only so much debt we can carry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like we would like mm-hmm. to retire one day right. and um, trying to figure out the balance of how much should she be responsible for and how much should we be responsible for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a lot of tough questions and, and tough conversations. Yeah, I mean, when... Uh, the price you pay for a college was coming out. I created a discussion guide and it ended up being like two or three pages long and had like 20 or 30 different questions about it. And they were all feelings questions. They weren't numbers questions. Hmm. Things like how much was your parent or your parents willing to pay um, for your education? Mm-hmm. Um, how did you feel about that? Hmm. Uh, do you feel like you will have done something wrong as a parent mm. if you do not do what your parent or parents did for you? Um, and if your parents did not contribute to your education at all, do you feel duty bound to pay the entire mm. thing? for your own kid to make up for what you believe was done to you. Wow, that's a good list. And I think to recognize that our our kids are not us. Exactly. Uh, Maya is a very different kind of student and a different kind of learner than I was. So I was a big nerd in in high school. She's nodding her head because um, she's seen the <laughs> pictures. So I was I spent most of my time and energy on on academics, and Maya is not that kind of learner. Although, um, as she said, she she does pretty well in school. She gets de- you know mostly A's, sometimes B's. She's not the kid who does all the extra credit, even if they already have an A, which is mm-hmm. who I was. Mm-hmm. And Maya is much more. Um, attuned to social dynamics, uh, mm-hmm. which is why she likes group work because mm-hmm. um, she's very aware of the social power that each person holds in a space and what they're thinking and what they're feeling and what they might have to contribute. It actually makes her a great kind of project manager. Hmm. Yeah, no, it sounds like you're describing a lot of the skills that really strong leaders need in a knowledge economy like we've got. Absolutely. And, you know, I think earlier rather than later, if you have a relatively knowledgeable college counselor at your school, you can tick off things like um, project-based learning or group work or visual learning. And that counselor should be able to look at a list of, you know, 20 small liberal arts colleges that are within 500 miles of where you live, if that's the sort of geographical circle that you want to draw, and say, oh, um, okay, so, you know, here's a list of 50 that we're starting with, but you probably only have a reasonable chance of getting into, you know, these 30, but I know for a fact from having visited or sent other kids there that these 12 offer a lot of mm-hmm. opportunities for group learning, project-based learning, or there is a strong culture of um, going abroad for your junior year. And then, you know, pretty soon you've got um, a, a list of places that you maybe ought to look at first. Here's another important insight. This is too complicated to do on your own. At some point, you gotta call in some help. And ideally, that would be your high school college counselor. But let's face it, a lot of those counselors are overwhelmed. So what then? 
I mean, the other thing you might think about is, you know, Maya and Melissa, you could think about this too, right? Like, who are the other slightly older kids who you know, who are at least a little bit like Maya, right? And what are the schools that they looked at, right? And which ones did they like and which ones did they dismiss? And for what reasons, right? How are those people doing? Um, what have they learned uh, about the process? What do they wish that they had done differently? Hmm. So that's a way to sort of crowdsource. I mean, it's probably also worth noting that, you know, a traditional residential four-year college isn't actually the norm in the United States. Mm -hmm. Is that right, Ron? That's correct. So there are like, you know, lots of other options, community colleges, vocational schools, uh, military, lots of other paths that lots of young people take. I mean, one of the things that struck me in looking at the research is how the problem isn't going to college. The problem is finishing. The problem is getting a degree. Because if you don't finish and you end up in debt and you don't have the degree, it's very hard for it to be financially worthwhile. That's absolutely true. And one of many reasons why people don't finish is because they've picked a school that is a poor match. And maybe mm -hmm. it's a poor match financially because it wasn't really affordable mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Um, but sometimes, um, you know, people make a, just kind of like a poor personality mm -hmm. match, a poor size match. So, you know, one test of an institution is just to turn up at the career office, you know, while you're visiting and then go in and ask, right? And maybe Maya asks herself, hey, I have no idea what I might want to do for a living someday. How do you spend four years dealing with somebody like me who has no idea? And here's one last tip for gathering intel on colleges. Try to talk to students who are there right now, not on a formal tour, not in front of parents or faculty. Ideally, the student who's applying should talk privately with a student who is attending. Maybe it's a friend of a friend or an alumni from your high school. But one thing I learned in covering education is that no one knows the real culture and climate of a school better than the students who go there. Asking other people we know who are like me for mm -hmm. advice um, is something that I, because I tend to be friends with people a little bit older than me. Mm -hmm. So I think that will be very helpful in our process um, for finding colleges. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just really appreciate having the opportunity to talk this through. This has been really helpful for me. I, it's been weighing on me all summer, this, this stress of, of how do we start winnowing down the list of colleges that might be a good fit for Maya. And just the questions to be asking ourselves to really help us narrow down what it is that will be most important to her and will set her up for success is so, so, so helpful. And now I've got homework to do with my husband and some homework to do with Maya. Just what Maya wanted, more homework. <laughs> Thank you to Melissa and Maya for joining us after a long day at school. Please let us know how the homework's going. And thank you to Ron Lieber for all of his useful advice. Make sure to check out his book, The Price You Pay for College. And we'll include his list of questions for parents to ask each other in the show notes. If your student is good at sports and looking for an athletic scholarship, 
check out our episode from earlier this year called How to Raise a Future College Athlete. What about the rest of you? Do you need some homework? Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And we'd love to have you on the show. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson and Kevin Bendis produced this episode. Merritt Jacob is senior technical director and Charles Duhigg created the show. I'm Amanda Ripley. Thanks for listening.